hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to A Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. I am here with the superlative Joe Ford again. You must all be very bored of me now because it's now become the longest commentary podcast run that we've done because I think this is the longest story. So there we go. But anyway, I'm here for us to do episode nine of the Daleks Master Plan, our epic run through this huge adventure. Say hello, Joe. Hello, Joe. This is <laughs> now because I've done the invasion with Stephen B from New to Who, but that was only eight episodes. So now this this is officially the longest one. That's very exciting. Yeah. We, we've got some exciting stuff to go. However, there's something I need to mention before we head into this episode. Okay. Uh, well, it's something that you just reminded me of a second ago. So I don't think you're getting off the hook with this, right? <laughs> everyone thinking i'm all right filthy git you're just as bad as i heart you are um so there was a line in the last episode probably the most filthiest line in the entirety of doctor who now there are many double entendres in doctor who many whatever sucked can be blowed um well oh, i can't think of any others now there, there are plenty that's a big one jamie yep there's a whole load of them they're all mentioned in the discontinuity guide under a whole section about double entendres it, it is, such it is. As you don't get much and i can't keep it up you know and things like that <clears throat> but yes this one in particular shall i deliver it to, i think you so, should you know you're the one who brought it up uh, we were talking about something else and we were completely distracted and we missed it but of course when the daleks realized that the terranium is fake in the previous episode mavic chen goes on a huge rant and goes no no it came from uranus i know it did <laughs> i would know nothing about that at all i'm telling you right now <laughs> oh I can, just, I can just see lucy's brigadier gif or fraser's stop it video materializing on the twitter feed <laughs> i can feel nicholas courtney's gaze his steely gaze that's <laughs> a great line though isn't it and you know, you can trust Kevin Stoney to deliver that with some sincerity. Indeed. Indeed you can. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be anything quite as filthy in episode nine of the Dalek's Master Plan. Oh, no, there is. We're off to Egypt. We're going to see a load of Egyptian thighs. We do see a lot of scantily clad Egyptian chaps, yes. Not many Egyptian women, though. We certainly don't see Amanda Barry, do we? All, all decked up like Cleopatra. No Egyptian women, no, I'm afraid. Uh, not this time. Uh, very remiss right. well shall we yes let's do that so again for anyone watching or listening along at home you will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the chimes ring like this <laughs> God, do you remember those old cassettes and Bing. records that went with kids books <laughs> <laughs> sorry i just went off a complete tangent which had nothing to do with doctor who whatsoever but i used to have quite a few of those kind of uh, story books when i was a kid i think you'd be quite good as a reader of the target novels you know well, possibly. <laughs> yeah. What would be your novel of choice? Uh, probably this one, actually, because I remember the novelization from the Dalek Master Plan because it was split into two, um, and I got that. That's how I read the whole. That's how I read the whole story first before I even heard the soundtrack or saw any of the recons or anything. I got the Target novelizations, and I thought they were really good. It made me really want to see this. So I sort of fell in love with the story through that those Target novelizations and those two episodes that were on the Daleks the early years tape. 
I thought this was my favourite Dalek story, even before I'd seen any of it, apart from those two episodes. Do you know what, though, right? I'm oh, sorry, I will go into the episode in a second, I promise. Um, is that John Peel, right? Everyone was convinced John Peel was a fantastic writer because he, he brought out this, didn't he? And he brought out Power of the Daleks and Evil of the Daleks, right? Fantastic novel. But they're great stories. They're great stories already written. Then, okay, he, there was this huge expectation when he was going to start delivering original novels for the BBC Eighth Doctor line. And out came War of the Daleks and Legacy of the Daleks. And boy, oh boy, did he go off a mountain there, I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, so I got War of the Daleks and I read it and I thought, I wish I hadn't read that. That's two or three hours of my life. I'll never get it back. Let's, just, let's retcon everything and just make it all up so yes it was weird but these were good these were good anyway let's do these it yeah. let's do it so if anyone is watching or listening along at home we're going to begin the episode in three two one go so also like in the last episode we assume that's just a nice little set piece with the monk and we ain't going to see him again don't we like like we've had in the last couple of episodes Yes, that kind of just, it seems to be done. It's just he's popped up on a New Year's Day, bit of fun. Now he's gone. However, <laughs> isn't it great when he materialises and there's that sort of do, 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 music? Yeah. <laughs> I really love that. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, here we go. Right. Where do we end off? I can't remember. The Dalek time machine has just left Kemble in pursuit of the Doctor. Oh, okay. So we're, we're definitely doing the chase now. We are doing the chase now, yes. But with a better director. <laughs> Do you reckon, right? So I'm gonna I'm 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 still talking about the monk for a second. Do you think it is an inevitability with a show that lasts long enough that you're gonna start having recurring villains? Like I think Hartnell's era has done pretty well to this point to just continually keep driving out original like baddies. Yeah, I think after a while, um, you know, thing, things will things will capture the imagination a bit like the Daleks did. I mean, that was that was totally unexpected that they should take off so quickly because obviously they started in the second, the very second story of Doctor Who's entire history, and really captured the imagination of the viewers. So I think inevitably, when a series goes on, there will be something that people decide they like or worked much better than they expected or whatever and they thought well let's let's grab that and bring it back because people will love that and of course that also produces good publicity that's true and i suppose like with, when the, with butterworth they must have just been like well this is just a fantastic actor they've got great chemistry and we're desperate we need to fill out this thing <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely and all this product all the pre-production on the dalek master plan all the stuff about getting the script sorted out was happening around the time the time meddler was being shot so he would have been around for dennis spooner to say would you come back if i wrote more monk episodes you know so um so we're off to ancient egypt and Indeed. i think it's now i don't really rate these sequences very much and i do think they're a bit unnecessary and actually when we move into the moving pictures there is some nice direction but some of the action is a bit awkward in the next episode. however i do really like the touch that it's an unfinished pyramid that it's all set around and there's like all this sort of not scaffolding obviously but all this sort of building materials everywhere i think that's a really yeah. like, they didn't have to do that did they? <laughs> 
no it was it was it was a nice touch i think to do that kind of timing of a, an unfinished pyramid and it gave a good reason for the um the tardis to be taken into the pyramid and moved and for the egyptians to still be hanging around it because there wouldn't be much reason for them to be still knocking around otherwise but uh, and it's just a bit more visually interesting than like i don't know a backdrop of a pyramid you know a cloth backdrop yeah it is it is very much it's quite a nice set actually i think i like the way they've uh, as you say i like they've got it covered in construction materials big blocks of stone and wooden scaffolding and and stuff like that going on i think it's a nice uh, it's a nice set all the sets all the production stuff in master plan was actually i think really good um for all the tension and problems that they had with it because they various memos and things doing the round saying what a disaster it was being and tensions were high and they were really making this kind of by the seat of their pants almost because scripts were coming in late production was you know but what they turned out you can tell from the from the soundtracks and from the episodes that still exist actually came out really well i think so well i've got three words to say for you it's the same word over and over again <clears throat> canfield 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 yeah canfield does a brilliant job directing this stuff oh, it's, it's entirely i know we've said this already in this commentary we've probably said it several times but it's it's a heroic turn from yeah. this director. imagine if this had been richard mine yeah absolutely absolutely uh there was some uh, I'll, I'll read an extract from the handbook because somebody um chief designer barry leroy chief designer of drama sent john wiles a memo during production of um master plan doctor who serial v is proving a near disaster i understand it is all possible to meet his dates but his commitment to 12 consecutive episodes has made this virtually impossible Scripts or near-complete scripts are often available, but planning the design and shooting arrangements for these is entirely haphazard. So there you go. It says, i give you this summary, despite the fact that Serial V will almost certainly continue in this same way, in order that you may make quite sure the following four episode parts allow proper planning with the designers and directors together, and that you may fight wholeheartedly against any recurrence of more than six episodes being given to one director, and in order that you take some action to ensure the addition of the Christmas holiday period to the problem does not lead to real disaster. They were literally <laughs> making this by the seat of their pants, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But brilliantly, the result was, was brilliant, I think. Still, still my favourite Dalek story, probably my favourite Hartnell story, and one of my favourite stories of the entire run. Well, I mean, it sounds like the production team didn't have a lot of confidence in this, but I don't think that shows in the in the finished product. It feels very confident, this. <laughs> in a way that, like, the chase did not feel very confident at all, you know? Certain parts of the chase, no, they didn't seem very confident, no. Charismatic, maybe, but not confident. <laughs> um, that is the director, and I think part of that is also the quality of the cast that they've got in these in these episodes they're all brilliant yeah and you know there are like terry nation is a good writer um who's script editing this is it spooner for out i think so yeah <clears throat> he's a really good writer as well so there's, there's a fair bit of talent being poured into this um there is yeah terry nation gets a lot of bad press because he does tend to pull the same tropes out over and over again in his writing but when you have to churn out writing at the pace that he did for what he did for his job, you don't want to be 
you've got to have those things in your back pocket to just keep the volume up really but i think he did it very well each time i think there was enough variation to keep it interesting terry nation right he has his list of cliches yeah in fact marvrav has a drinking game a terry nation drinking game and he'll do part ones of terry nation episodes and he's absolutely hammered come uh, <laughs> early john pertwee's time he's absolutely hammered but um they're cliches because they work, you know? Mm. And a Terry Nation part one, when it works well, is the best kind of part one you're ever going to get, I think, in terms of atmosphere, oh, yeah. defense, you know, and world building. He was really good at world building and at structuring the story. As you say, his part ones were usually really, really good. It's his part that had good. a bit of trouble. His conclusions. <laughs> his conclusions sometimes are a bit off, but yeah. We didn't even bother it, did he? He's like, ah, oh, I've done my sticks. Right, I'm out. Yeah, I'm off. <laughs> um, can I ask a question? There seems to be a lot of photographs on this reconstruction. Are these pictures from the next episode? There was a lot of photographs taken during production of the episodes in Egypt. There's a lot of them available. Some of them are, this is, a, that, you know, a couple of these are stills from the next episode, but there were a lot of production photographs taken um, during Master Plan in general, but particularly on the Egypt set. I'm not quite sure exactly why, but there are a lot of them. I know they doctor a lot of images and things on these reconstructions, but there was a, a shot a minute ago that was like a high angle shot looking down at the Daleks and the Egyptians. I thought, yeah oh, that you can't really fake that that looks like a real photograph yeah i, I think it was they say there was quite a lot of photographs of the production of this this little sequence in egypt is this um is this the voice work of peter hawkins in this episode i still think he's the best dalek voice you know yeah I, peter hawkins is is the dalek uh, the dalek voice in this episode it's when they start introducing Zippy from Rainbow that things get a bit problematic. Only in some of them, not all of them. Shuttle Force has entered heavy resistance. It does sound just like Zippy in Rainbow for the Daleks. He does, yes. But then he also does the Emperor Dalek in Evil of the Daleks and is brilliantly with that. So. Oh, what, Roy Skelton? Mm. I didn't know that. I did not yeah. know that. Mind you, I only found out the other day that John Leeson did the voice of, of the little girl in the chair in Remembrance of the Daleks. Oh, yes. Yeah. How fabulous is Hartnell looking that hat? Yeah. It's, uh, he, was, he had that hat in the first Dalek story. Did he? But he didn't wear it for some reason. He, in episode one, he steps out of the TARDIS into the jungle carrying a Panama hat, which he never once puts on his head, and then we don't see it again. So, but here he is wearing a hat. Give me a prop. I need a prop. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's a very unusual photograph there of that Egyptian man looking like he's sunning himself at Hartnell's feet. Yes. Do you reckon having uh, a historical element to this story is like the finishing touch? You know, like you have the futuristic stuff. There's a few bits set in the modern day. Uh, or we assume they are the you know the Christmas and the New Year stuff, and now we've got the history stuff. But we are doing the gamut of Doctor Who throughout these twelve episodes. Yeah, yeah we we I think we said in one of the earlier um, episodes, I think we said it was like a portmanteau of Doctor Who, like bits of all bits of Doctor Who in one story. So you've got the futuristic stuff, you've got the drama, the comedy, the historical, the present day, 
It's a bit like um, when <clears throat> did Flux, wasn't it? Like he did a little bit of everything as well. He did the opening episode where a lot of it was set in the present day. He did a load of stuff in the future in the Temple of Atropos and all of that. And then he went back into the past in Village of the Angels, didn't he? Yeah, and War of the Sontarans as well. So. Oh, of course, yeah, of course. So even more appropriately. Yeah. Where's the monk wearing sunglasses? Yeah, the monk is wearing sunglasses, which I think is hilarious. I love that little touch, uh, and it is that is that is genuine. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't just in there and got a pair of sunglasses, which of course is anachronistic for ancient Egypt. So. But then so is a monk wandering around. But okay, and I'm going to be wicked for a second. What is the point of these episodes? Like, what is the point of <laughs> time, my boy? Time bulking out the story to make it longer. And they're fun. And we've got Walter Randall as well, has just popped up. Oh, hang on. Walter Randall was somebody in the Aztecs, wasn't he? He was Tonila in the Aztecs. He was Elakia in the Crusade as well. So this is his third Hartnell story, one each season, I think he's done. <clears throat> and he pops up later as uh, Slocum, the technician in part one of Inferno, who first turns into a green thing. So. I was thinking a slight Douglas Canfield uh, <laughs> thread running through those stories, or some of those stories. Yes. They do Indeed, say that. directors do tend to, to use the same people when they when they know they've got some actors they can rely on, they do tend to bring them back. And why not? Well, if it's someone you can rely on, definitely why not? Mm. Absolutely. Now Peter Purvis <coughs> um hasn't had a like a terrific amount to do in this, has he? Like off his own back. He he he's with Sarah Kingdom and the Doctor, like in the next story obviously he kind of owns the show doesn't he he's he's holding he up in the next story whereas in this yeah. i wouldn't say they're utilizing him amazingly well he had that great scene when katarina died that was i think he makes that scene he does but yeah the companions don't really get to do very much in this story um, except just kind of be there they don't really contribute much to the proceedings apart from getting captured and released and so on they don't really do anything else um of course in episode 11 we focus heavily on Stephen and sarah because the doctor disappears for whatever reason but even then all they really do is wander around they do a little bit we'll talk about that when we get there but yeah they don't have a lot to do in this story but yeah, Peter Purvis carries the next one. It's really Stephen's story, The Massacre. And it's brilliant. In contrast, I think Hartnell gets loads to do in this. Like, as a showcase of Hartnell, it's terrific. Oh, Hartnell's brilliant. In the next episode, he gets a wonderful moment, doesn't he, where he steps out and his voice booms amongst the pyramids, you know? Oh, yeah. I will the have... recognizes the Daleks. So there we go. Knows the Daleks. By reputation. So this is again, this is where this is now expanding the Daleks by reputation because you know up until now we've had no indication that anyone other than the Doctor, in terms of the time traveling, knew who the Daleks were because obviously in the first story they were just on Scaro, etc. Then there was the Dalek invasion of Earth that happened. Now they're universal conquerors, 
people on Earth know who the Daleks are, people in the outer galaxies know who the Daleks are, the monk knows who the Daleks are. So the Daleks now have this great universal reputation. So it's kind of the story that makes the Daleks what they were from this point onwards, I think. It feels like very slowly, uh, it doesn't really happen for, you know, another couple of eras. Or, but the, the, the cliche, the, the kind of the tenets of the show are falling into place very mm. slowly. And kind of accidentally as well. Like none of this is planned. This isn't a you yeah. know, Jay Michael Straczynski Babylon 5-esque epic being, you know, unfolding before us. Don't get me wrong. If you watch the run of Doctor yeah, Who, it's yeah. a lovely epic, but... Yeah, they're not laying the foundations for the time war here deliberately. You know, it's... <laughs> that's, oh, my it's God. Just... Yeah, it's a time lord on the Daleks. My God, you could say this is like the first step. Yeah. Well, you could technically say the Daleks is the first step. Probably the chase when they first start going after the Doctor. They know who the Doctor is. That would be... <clears throat> Mind you, did you see that box set that they released... It was just any another excuse to bring out another box set of all stories that they've already brought out on Blu-ray, and it's like the Road to the Time War, or something like that. It's Genesis of the Daleks, Remembrance of the Daleks. Yeah, I saw that box set, and I just I couldn't really see the point. I know there were some questions about why they included certain stories in there as well. Well, because they've already remastered. That's why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they didn't have to remaster anything and put it on another disc and release it oh here we go so we've got lovely um egyptian sets here with hieroglyphs yeah. fabulous um sarcophagi yeah indeed yeah the sets are really good the set dressing is, is fantastic i think for these episodes one thing you can rely on the bbc to do it's historical a drama and sets are always brilliant on the bbc yes do you know yeah. in the big finish um the adventures of lucy miller so we're skipping way forward now eighth doctor series the monk yeah. is in cahoots with the daleks at the end of the run of lucy miller right and he is responsible for them sending a plague missile to the earth it, like so so Ooh. yeah and it's really it's played like it's a kind of like an inadvertent thing that he did it to save his life that he gave he told them you know um how to how to wipe out everybody on the earth but he's really portrayed as like a proper anti-hero in that um mm. it's quite interesting they don't quite do that here do they he is just a bit of a comic buffoon who's rubbing shoulders with the daleks yeah he's only working with the daleks because he doesn't really have an awful lot of choice um what was going on there with the tardis that is the monk's TARDIS and the Doctor. This is the first time we've actually seen a TARDIS change shape because the Doctor went into the monk's TARDIS and played around with it and it changed shape into various different things until it became a police box. Ah. Why is he doing that, though? Well, that will become apparent in the next episode. Okay, okay. Oh, dear. That, look at that picture there. That's clearly been doctored. Yeah, well, there's only so much you can do with these things. <laughs> yeah, that's always a better job. Well, you said you did five minutes worth and, and, and you had enough. It was like... Yep. Yep, I tried years and years ago. I tried and I thought, what the hell am I doing? Like, <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, I see they're having a fight. I was a bit confused. Yeah, they're having a fight. It's Stephen and Sarah versus the Egyptians. 
Yes, I'm not quite sure how good it would be when if we get this episode back. I'm not quite sure how this episode, this fight would come back. Um, a lot of the couple of things that were in the handbook was that they weren't very satisfied with the extras who played the Egyptian soldiers in this in this serial. So they they left a lot of stuff undone with them because they just didn't come across very well. Do you know that's a good point. You know, you thought about episodes coming back. All right, here's a question for you. <clears throat> Name an episode that's missing with a good reputation that you think would be tarnished by its return, and an episode with a less than stellar reputation that whose reputation would improve by returning. And don't say the web of fear and enemy of the world. That's cheating. That's cheating because we've already seen those, and we know what my answer to those is already. Um, a good episode that would be perhaps tarnished by its return. Uh, well, sorry to say, possibly some of these. I don't know how well some of these episodes would hold up once we actually see them, especially the, the final episode with the time destructor and what have you. I can't, you know, we have we have great ideas in our heads of what it would look like. We've got descriptions, but it might well fall a bit flat on actual viewing. Um, in terms of an episode with a poor reputation, which might be which might benefit from coming back, I think I think the savages would benefit enormously if it came back because it tends to be rather overlooked. But I think it's a lovely little story. I really like the savages and possibly even the space pirates. I think definitely the space pirates and I think the smugglers as well. <laughs> with all that location work, I think the smugglers would uh, have a better reputation. I don't think it's amazing, but I think if you could actually see. Uh, it, it looks like a quite a sumptuous production that's possible and it's also possibly true of the highlanders because i remember I've, I've always viewed the smugglers and the highlanders in particular i've always viewed as entirely forgettable because no matter how many times i watch them i can barely remember the plot either of them do you know i'm like that with the highlander but it's really weird because when i'm listening to it i'm like this is really rather good like this isn't terrible. This is it's got some nice bits of drama, some nice bits of comedy, some good acting. I bet the production value was pretty good. You can see from some of the pictures. And yet you asked me a week later and I, was, I say, I, I don't remember a thing. I think the doctor's putting on an accent, but that's about it. Yeah, it's weird. But I but um, Toby Haydock did one of his Happy Times and Places podcasts on the Highlanders, which I listened to. And he was pointing out lots of things like you know, the cinematography was probably very good because you can see from the tele snaps they must have been on location for this. There's um, there's all sorts of uh, interesting shots in the tele snaps, and there's acting and performances and and things happening, and you know, so that made me sort of reappraise it and think actually it might be it might be better if we could see it. It might be better regarded. Um, there's still a lot wrong with it and it's still not a fabulous story I don't think but yeah I think its recovery would benefit its reputation enormously I wonder if something like Fury from the Deep you know wouldn't go down in people's estimation if it was bad I don't know I think it probably looks great but it's I, a, a bit repetitive I yeah I might be about to be uh, crucified for saying this but I don't actually rate Fury from the Deep that much oh really why it just doesn't hold my attention. It's got some good stuff in it. Um, you know, the sequence with Oak and Quill overpowering Maggie Harris, that's brilliant. The way that's been shot is, is fabulous. It's got some good stuff in it. 
I like the way that Victoria's departure is sewn throughout and actually emphasised, made a big part of the final episode. It's not just at the end. She goes, by the way, I'm staying, like so many other companions do. There's a lot of good stuff in it. Um, Victor Madden is fabulous as, Ron, as, as uh, Robson and, and what have you. So, you know, there's a lot of good stuff. But as a story, I watch it and I, it genuinely just doesn't hold my attention. Do you know what story does that for me? That? And even with the animation, I still think it's so fucking boring. The faceless ones bores me stiff. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the faceless ones either. Again, interesting ideas, but it just has no pace. It should be four. It just has no pace. It should be four. It should be four episodes. Oh, hang on. Also, we're we're coming up to the cliffhanger oh. because the pictures are moving again. Pictures are moving now, so we've just spliced in the existing bit from part 10 to the end of the part 9 recon, so yeah. Oh my God, Jason, my heart started <laughs> racing then when I could see moving pictures. Yeah. Now look, is this not a bit, like, Sarah Kinder was supposed to be the deadliest, you know, space assassin in the future, and now she's scared of a hand coming out of a sarcophagus. To be fair... I doubt that was covered in her training. <laughs> That's, very true. That's very true. And you know what, right? I'm going to talk about it now. But the resolution to that is fucking hilarious. <laughs> it is, yes. So many Doctor Who um, cliffhangers. You know, it's like, oh my God, kill them now. And then the next episode is like, no, wait. Or something like that. You know, some dreadful resolution. Whereas this, <laughs> it's really funny. Because hasn't the Doctor put him in there? Yeah, the Doctor's <laughs> put him in there. <laughs> it's hilarious. What? It's one of the, the better kinds of cliffhangers that actually follows logically from the plot and isn't just chucked in there because, oh, we need a cliffhanger. It's a violent bugger, you know, Hartnell, sometimes. Oh, isn't he just? Don't you know, yeah. he was trained by the mountain mauler of Montana. He was. He was indeed. And he is so constantly outwitting the opposition, he tends to forget the delights of the gentle art of fisticuffs. <laughs> he stumbled through in the Romans. <laughs> oh, man, he tosses that man off brilliant oh sorry he tosses that man out of the window brilliantly i'll tell you <laughs> sorry he doesn't he doesn't vicky chases him out of the window the doctor doesn't throw him out the window vicky's chasing him with a big vase over her head no, but he does throw him about a bit doesn't he he, he knocks him about a bit certainly oh, but it's vicky so you want to fight do you <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll stop it there <laughs> 